since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Outside. Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. My fabulous co-host, Annie Goodman, back in her secret, undisclosed underground bunker. We wish her well. It's not okay. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy with me, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. Tonight's show, boxer Terry Moss, join us for an exclusive interview with young adult survivor blogger Aaron Havel and WIVA-WIVF retired world champ boxer Terry Moss, who, through interferon treatments and hep C, has learned to get busy living and inspire millions. And a spotlight, special spotlight tonight on Grant Bresner, founder of Llama Mama. And I'm Maureen Sweet, Manager of Programs and Operations here at Stupid Cancer, and I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodeck. So send me your questions and feedback at any time with the hashtag SCRadio. All right. Hello. Hello. I'm a little loud tonight. not sure why. You're just so excited to be on the show. You wow. are redlining as red as my hair. Yeah. That's actually yelling today. Yes, I lowered the, uh, the volume. Hopefully it's, it's equal now. For some reason. Okay. We never question the gremlins of the technology. No, never. Well, anyway, how are you? Doing well. How are you? How was your weekend? My weekend was full of ailments. Yes. As I heard, the the family has all got something. Yes. There's four of us, Mm -hmm. and we all enjoy spreading the word. Well, that's nice of you to share. Yes. It's all about sharing in my household. Sure, sure. So if I'm (coughs) making strange sounds tonight, now you all know why. Kind of like a, a, a window into our world. What? Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> no one knows what that means except Maureen and Kenny. 
Maybe yeah. Allie sometimes. Anyway, we have some fabulous live in studio guests here tonight. Welcome, Thaylen Scott and Kelly Shea. Hello, hello. Hello. How you doing? Doing well, thank you. What brought you here tonight? I am here to rally my fellow survivor, Kelly Shea, and introduce her to all of you lovely people. And in general, I'm a glutton for punishment and come to the stupid cancer office often. Thaylen <laughs> Scott, who is a, how many years now? 16? 15-year 15. 15 young adult survivor. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yes. Uh, just celebrated 15 this past October and continue to count that number. And you are a member of our fabulous board of directors. You are one of our um, OMG steering committee members. <laughs> <laughs> you tend the lawn on the roof of our office. And you keep do, everyone happy and here. And you do public relations for us. <laughs> yes. The list goes on. The list, the list goes, goes on. on. Lots of hats. Lots of hats. Happy to be here. Yes. And Kelly, you were uh, recently indoctrinated into our little culture about a year ago. Yes. Because you now are a member of the club no one wants to belong to. <laughs> but uh, congratulations on um, living with, beating, challenging, fighting, whatever words you like to use, breast cancer. Thank you. And uh, what, what do we say? It's like the Olive Garden except the opposite because you're really family, but you don't want to be family. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. You wrote that line, you know. I didn't remember I wrote it until I started saying that I wrote it. Oh, I know. It's, it's just like the Olive Garden except the exact opposite. That's what it is. There we go. Yes. So um, I, we just wanted to talk pretty quickly about some top of the show stuff here. Kenny, you're gearing up for the road trip. Yes. The uh, third annual Stupid Cancer Road Trip. Yes. What's that about? Uh, so the Stupid Cancer Road Trip is going to start uh, April 7th. I haven't counted the days. I don't think I want to count the days. But we end up in Vegas on April 20th, and we will be driving through the middle of the country. Uh, I guess we'll go through the dates during the news. Sure. But, uh, yeah, you are. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to... Uh, 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 tempt yourself between now and the news, you can visit stupidcancerroadtrip.org. Yes. John Sabian and I will be heading out in our Dodge Charger, hitting up your local cities and hosting nightly events for you to attend, and we encourage you to do. We hope to see you out there as we make our way to OMG 2014. Any other big news, Maureen? The uh, Get Busy Living Award voting process is now... It is open. Open. So I'm really bad at saying this website out loud. Getbusyliving.me. <laughs> or put a dot between the I and the NG, get busy living. Really, we're just so great. Get busy living. Yes. <laughs> Go there. Yes. And vote for one of the top So what nine is nominees. the Get Busy Living Award? The Get Busy Living Award is awarded every year to a young adult cancer survivor who has embodied stupid cancer's mantra of get busy living through their survivorship. And we reward them with something different every year. The past couple of years, we've done a dream day. We've been fortunate to partner with the I Am Genie Foundation. And this year's winner, again, will be hooked up with a pretty sweet dream day that will fulfill all of the winner's hopes and dreams and things. So <laughs> I couldn't so have said it better myself. No, last year it was cool. Last year it involved ride, driving race cars and construction equipment and yeah. spa stuff. Yeah, you were there, Kenny, right? I was. I was at the spa. No, I was ineligible since I do not get busy living. (laughs) He does get busy drinking. Yes. So that's fine. Um, So, yeah. So, how many nominees? Get your vote in. We have, well, we always narrow it down. There was an initial judging period, and we have nine finalists 
Awesome. On our on that website. On our mm. website. On the, so it's get busy living, but there's a dot between the I and the NG. There's got to really be a better way. Two decimal places. <laughs> there's two decimal places on the word get busy living. Get busy living. NG hundredth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Great. Anyway. <laughs> oh boy, Kelly, you are you bored yet? <laughs> Kelly, no. Kelly, leave now. I'm fascinated. <laughs> so why don't you let us? Uh, I mean, we have our spotlight tonight, but you're here tonight. So why don't you take a minute or two to tell us your fabulous trials and tribulations? Yeah. So um, I, how old am I? I think I'm 26. <laughs> um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer when um, I was 22, so four years ago, um, and I've been getting treated ever since. Um, I'm on hormonal and oral chemo right now, and I'm getting scans every three months. So cross your fingers. <laughs> fingers are crossed. Fingers crossed. Collectively. It's just a testament to how far we've come, though, from 20 years ago when everything was just you died in three months, yep. you died in six months. Yeah. And, you know, even I would get in six months, and they stopped doing that. No one gets six months anymore. <laughs> or if they do, you just go out and tear that doctor a new one. Yeah. Well, welcome to the club. Thank you. Truly again. Thank and you for really having me. We're really happy to have you. And your first date actually was the Stupid Cancer Road Trip yes. kickoff in New York City last year. Yep. So it's almost a one-year anniversary yeah. for your Stupid Cancer Love Affair. Yeah. And that's a great shout-out for everyone to attend a meetup around the country because it shows you that you can meet the people of the organization, people just like you, and really feel connected on that uh, people level, whereas we spend a lot of our time in the social media world. So... Yeah, they are. To see the, everybody. I think there are, what, 16 or, or, or 13 actual meetups along the road trip, and you never know who will be there. Well, we, we kind of do know who's going to be there, but Kenny will be there. <laughs> but you never really know who you're going to meet and who's uh, first timer. And, you know, if you've been in the past, go again because you want to be there for the next person. So it's very cool stuff. Anything else in the news besides this March Madness? That's a sports thing, right? It's a sports thing. March Madness is fun for the first five days. As a <laughs> sports fan of Stupid Cancer, that is my opinion on March Madness. So we have reached the end of those five days, and I'm less interested in it now. But go teams. Too bad Ohio State got eliminated immediately. Um, but everybody, I hope you're enjoying your basketball. I hope your bracket wins a billion dollars for more involved. Yeah, isn't it, that's the thing, right? Like if you get all the brackets right in advance, you win a billion dollars yes. real quick. And I'm pretty sure everybody has lost already. This, there has to be some, some like you're more likely to do this than win thing out there already. You're more likely to win a whole lot. Of, I think you're more likely to win the lottery than to win this. Like you're more likely to like break the speed of life by accident. He actually <laughs> sweetened the deal. If, if you got it correct down to the final four, and then at that point, he would offer you a buyout at $100 million. Wow. Only 100 Maybe it was 10 No, it was definitely $100 million. But no, no one's made it there. After the first round, I think there may have been three perfect brackets. Really? In all of the registered brackets. Who has time for this? Who has time to make a bracket? It takes less than two minutes. And if you, the less time you spend on it, the more likely you are to be right, is my opinion on March Madness. Interesting. <laughs> the official voice of March Madness. Wow. In the, studio. The, uh, the actuary of March Madness. Yes. Very nice. Yes. All right. Well, let's get to our, uh, our first Survivor Spotlight here. Very excited to have him on the show. He came in um, with, with some really great, uh, great, great stories and, and just very inspiring kid. All right. So, uh, Grant Brasner. Founder and editor at Llama Mama. He's a junior at the University School of uh, NSU in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where it's 
hell of a lot warmer than it is here. Llama Mama is a new, exciting, and engaging website built by kids and for kids that features tons of hilarious and appropriate material to cheer those kids up who are undergoing cancer treatment and their siblings uh, founded in honor of Ian uh, Bresner, who passed away at the age of 11 from complications due to leukemia. Please welcome to the uh, Stupid Cancer Show, uh, Grant Bresner. Hey, how you doing? <clears throat> Good evening, my friend. Having in the show. Are we saying it? Is it Bresner or Besner? Besner, Besner. But you can call me Besner. Besner. I get it all the time. Sorry, Grant. Okay, well, we're just one of those people now. Yeah. <laughs> Say your name wrong. But yeah, I'm really Besner, Besner, whatever works. It's okay. You know who we're talking to you, right? Because the only one on the show right now. Yeah, or some random person on the other other online. It's very nice. Well, I'm again. I'm really, really uh, happy that you reached out to us. I think what you're doing is is quite extraordinary, and I'd, I'd I'd love to give you the next, you know, 15 minutes or so to tell your story. Talk about. I assume that Ian was your your brother, correct? Yeah. And uh, yeah, sure. what his honoring his life and how you know, the uniqueness of, of children with cancer and then they grow up to become teenagers and how does this all work? And again, as the brother, the sibling, the caregiver, the, there's so much story here. Um, and I, I'm really, we're all really excited to have you uh, start telling us that. Yeah. So why don't yeah, you... Sure. So um, but before I... Beginning. Oh, sorry. Um, but before I go into my story, I just want to add about March Madness. Um, oh. There's sure, rumors there's the one perfect bracket left in the world and that's um, from North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Oh, sure, sure. You know, yeah, so I, I apparently he's so perfect, him. but that's, that's just rumors. Um, yeah, I heard Vladimir Putin's was pretty good, too. <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll just go into my story. Um, kind of uh, brief. Um, so when I was nine, my older brother, Ian, was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, I think it was T-cell um, lipoblastic, some word that I couldn't pronounce when I was nine, Um lymphoblastic I think it was and uh, I wasn't really sure what it was at the time and I think that's a big thing Um, you know as I kind of got older I realized what it was more and uh, now I'm getting more and more involved now that I realize you know the severity of it and the whole you know community and how it affects everyone and so um, Ian passed away I think it was he was he was cancer free I think after his third round of chemo or fourth but um he got infected. Um, his immune system was lowered so severely from the chemo that he couldn't combat um, meningitis when he got it in June, June 2006 or May 2006. And so he passed away. And, you know, being a adolescent, you know, not even an adolescent, I was, I was, you know, just nine years old. So that was very, you know, tough on my family and like everyone that, you know, you know. And camper, cancer has like a way of like impact like the norm, like normalcy of your life, you know, where it can be, you know, normal beforehand, normal is a whole new definition after you go through cancer or, you know, have someone, you know, a loved one go through cancer. Um, and so um, that's like my backstory, if you will. Um, but then, you know, fast forward, um, you know, a few years, my family started a cancer, you know, research foundation to, you know, fund cancer research for, you know, pediatric um, cancer and as well as um just general cancer because, you know, as well as, you know, when you get cancer as a kid, um, there are, you know, major side effects moving into your teenage years and your adolescent years. And um, so they're doing research into, you know, uh, I don't know, ameliorating uh, uh, side effects. And so, um, so that was like really my parents did that. 
so I felt like I needed to do, you know, take a personal um, interest in doing something to help. Um, because the the community was really supportive of my brother while he was going through the treatment. So um, what I did last February, I think it was, and then we just celebrated our first year of the website, I created Llama Mama. Um, and you may be asking yourself, you know, why Llama Mama? Like, what what's the point of the name? There really is no point. Um, it just really sounds funny, and it's catchy. So that's why I decided on that name. And um, our motto is healing through humor, which I think is very, um, very true. Um, and so basically what it is, it's just um, this website at www.llamamamahaha.com. And um, I edit it every day. And I just upload a lot of appropriate um, um, jokes, videos, and photos that contain no triggers, you know, dealing with anything with uh, cancer or anything, you know, uh, I don't know, bad situation related. And uh, I just send it to people, get the word out, and people check it out. Uh, it brightens their day a little bit. And uh, I've gotten some pretty positive feedback. I had uh, one guy the other day just send me a message saying, we're dealing with some stuff that with our 13-year-old at home, um, but this website makes it better, so thank you. And I was kind of skeptical when I started it, you know, how helpful it could actually be. But just kind of like getting, not distracted, but moving you know, on with your life a little bit from cancer and taking a moment to laugh can really make a huge impact. Um, so that's, that's basically uh, my mission, and obviously I'm still uh, growing it, but hopefully... Um, you know, a few years I'll be uh, pretty widespread throughout you know North America, at least. So this was so you're a junior in college now. So you're what? Around high 19? school. Oh, junior high school. I I'm sorry. Yeah, I I'm, I'm 16 right now. By accident. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you're junior high school. So that makes you what? Like 15 or 16? 16. Yeah. All right. So this was a couple of years ago for you. What has life been like in terms of uh, first of all, do you have any other siblings? It was just I have a younger brother. He's uh, thirteen or fourteen, okay. rather. But he's taller right. than me, so it's it's rough. <laughs> Don't you hate that? So it's not fun. I, have, I know I have the same problem. Anyway, so we're, can you talk to us about what life has been like uh, for you growing up as an adolescent through junior high school and then high school, having lost a sibling? Do do your friends understand that? Is is this um, in the twenty first century? Is that discussable? It's kind of like um, I'm studying American history right now. It's kind of like the gag rule about in the, in the eighteen hundreds about slavery. It's something I really don't I don't know enjoy discussing that much with friends, and especially when it just happened. Everyone, um, it wasn't like a like a stare look at that kid, but yeah, I mean, I would say I lost some friends because people didn't know how to you know talk to me about it um or i mean but i a lot of i have a lot of really close friends that you know are, are there for me and uh and still are so that's that definitely helped and but i really i don't talk about it extensively even even with my family honestly i really don't talk about it um which is i, I talk about this occasionally but it's something that i've just kind of confronted um i've tried to confront on my own and i think starting this website has really helped me uh you know, deal, uh, cope with it or deal with it. Well, clearly, because now you're wearing it on your sleeve for all the right reasons. Exactly, yeah. Now, I, I think being really public with my story and uh, getting it out there is, you know, definitely something that helps. 
Right. So what has been the response from, I guess, from your, did your parents and your brother know that you were doing this or this just came out of your brain one day and poof? Um, well, yeah, uh, mostly it was, I, I, I knew I wanted to do something for a while, but I was trying to figure out what, um, to do. And so I think I'm a, I'm a very funny person, self-proclaimed, you may beg to differ. Um, and so, um, I figure, you know, what what can I do to make a difference? I'm funny. Um, I have, you know, some technological skills, and so I figured um, why not create a website. So I talked it over with my parents, um, how to do it. Um, bought a account on Webs.com, made built my own website in a few weeks, and um, ever since I I launched it, um, just been adding on more content, appropriating funny content. So. All right, so officially my favorite part of your website is the, does this website have anything to do with llamas? <laughs> yeah, on, Again, on the About Us page, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. No, I mean, occasionally when I'm, I'll like go to a hospital and start pitching, you know, try to, you know, get them to use our website, although hospitals are really, really bureaucratic, as I'm sure a lot of people in the cancer community, you know, can relate to, a lot of bureaucracy there. Um, and so I'll say llamas have a, direct, you know, correlation to um, the healing process, but um, that's just a joke. Uh, no, it's it's just a catchy name, honestly. Well, I mean, so, are, so how do you, I, I was kidding, too, I just like the fact that yeah, yeah, I know, I know. a cheek there. So how do you, who, who's the audience for this? Are you, are you looking at children? Are you looking at teenagers? And, and you're um, obviously, healing through humor is a, it's something that, yeah. it, it's fairly... It's common today, and that's a good thing. We, we try to, you know, here poke a stick at cancer. The very fact that we have a show about it poking a stick at it is just another testament to that. But, uh, you know, who is this for? Who, who's your audience for this? Um, I mean, I created it for, you know, kids about my brother's age, you know, 11, 12, 13. But I, I realized humor is humor. A, a baby, you know, farting and giggling about it is funny for, you know, from anyone from five years old to 80 or, you know, to 100, I don't know. Um, it's anything, if something's funny, it's it's funny for everyone. So I started targeting, you know, my target audience was younger kids and their siblings, but now I'm starting to branch out to anyone who really could use a laugh. Um, and it's proving, uh, you know, effective that way as well. Are you uh, visiting hospitals, and, and does this involve, like, volunteers going to specific clinics and, and talking to people? Yeah, um, locally, I've been to a few hospitals and um, talked with child life specialists there. Um, and then I also will, you know, spend hours and hours making phone calls and emails and uh, sending, I have these postcards about the website um, to child life specialists. But, um, and that was, that was, you know, for a few months at the beginning of this year. Um, and I wasn't really getting a huge response from that because, Let's say there's something on the website that you know could be deemed you know partially inappropriate. A parent sues the hospital, and you know they they don't want to be responsible for that. And so um, that, that's a shame that you know it can't get to the kids that need it um, because of the whole bureaucracy. So that's why really I think that's why I found Stupid Cancer because I was looking online for support groups, and I found this you know this amazing uh, website, and I was really intrigued by it. Um, I contacted you guys to see if you, um, you know, help get the word out. Um, but yeah, I, I do visit some hospitals. Uh, I volunteer in community a fair amount. Um, so then I tell people about it then. So it's really, um, kind of word of mouth ish as well as social media. 
So when you, obviously, a child life specialist, they are completely, you know, born from the ground up in grad school to serve sort of the emotional well-being of children and those affected by that child's diagnosis. So they're, they're probably very receptive to this idea of, of you wanting to come in as someone who's been there and probably wished it existed when they were going through it with their brother. And, you know, here at Stupid Cancer, our, our kind of our secret slogan is we try to make it suck a little less. Yeah. And that's kind of what you're trying to do here, and I really commend you for doing that. When you uh, find these child life specialists, what, what is their general um, thoughts on this? Obviously, notwithstanding the politics and bureaucracy of hospitals, uh, I assume they're welcoming this with open arms. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I've been getting really positive responses. Um, some one one lady, I, I showed her. Um, I think it was a video that I made with my cousins that I posted on the website of um, my cousins, Beach on Day, talking like a uh, elderly African American male, um, and the, the woman was uh, cracking up and she loved the idea. Um, and I, I think this was one of the places that actually uh, is using it right now. Um, it's a cancer support group in South Florida, um, and. So some people, some child life specialists, um, really like it. Others see potential lawsuits. Um, but yeah, um, I wouldn't say there's anyone that doesn't like it or doesn't enjoy it or doesn't think there's a use for it. Clearly, clear. So w- what's the future for this? Obviously, do you want to um, start producing content? Do you want to just start curating and providing? I see there's a there's pages of of, of videos and jokes and photos. Uh-huh. How are you getting all that together on this page? Um, a lot of – I don't tell my, my teachers, but a lot of free time in the school. Um, I, think, and, I don't know if something's not happening. Uh, or I have you know, friends that find material. I send it to me. I, I look for the appropriate stuff. Um, but the future is this. I really I, – um, I didn't coin the term, but I use the term a network of laughter – we're, we want to have people submitting funny stuff where we, we post them. We have a section called the Llama Forum um, where we want people to you know, submit stuff, and I'll post it and say um, this photo was – or this joke was posted by so-and-so so they can see their own joke. Or people you know, make their own videos and post it here. And, um, or they'll vote, you know, make it very um, interactive or something. But it's really just um, – I want it to be like a, a friendly, open environment on the Internet and, and safe as well, because there's a lot of you know sketchy stuff on the internet, obviously, um, where people can go and and just laugh and, and enjoy themselves. Very cool, very cool. Well, I'm really uh, proud of you. I think this is an extraordinary way to to, to honor your brother and to kind of you know again we we like to say poke a stick, and this is yeah. really what it's all about. You are really trying to uh, and presumably uh, succeeding at making a difference for people uh, who've gone through this, who've walked in your shoes, and who, you know, it, for whom it does need to be made a little less worse. And uh, there's nothing better than laughter. I, I think everyone here in the studio and everyone listening would agree that if you can't make light of something, you know, then, then what, what good is it? You have to, you have to right. smile a bit. A bit. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a big thing. Um, to your mission statement as well, it's stupid cancer, um, which I found really interesting was just, yeah, cancer sucks. You know, why not? Why not just blatantly, uh, you know, say it? So I think um, definitely there's a there's a big use for um, making light of something uh, so heavy. 
Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. We hope you were able to give you a little of a marketing bump and count us in as a friend in Florida. We have a lot of volunteers in Florida who I'm sure we'd love to connect you with. Uh, you're doing great stuff. And, uh, again, we are truly sorry for the loss of your brother, but we are very happy that you proverbially make lemonade from lemons and are doing some great work as a high school junior. Count us in. You're a great guy. All right. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Okay, Grant Fasnier from LlamaMamaHaHa.com. Thanks, bro. All right, see ya. Okay, Kenny, now it is time for the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, Matthew and friends, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar. For all of our social and educational events nationwide, something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Have some regular old stupid cancer meetups happening in Durham, North Carolina, Rochelle Park, New Jersey, followed by the stupid cancer road trip happening, ready for this, Boston, New York, Washington, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Chicago, St. Louis, Denver, Salt Lake City, San Francisco, Irvine, Phoenix, and finally, stupid cancer road trip lands in Las Vegas for the OMG Summit. Gesundheit. Thank you. It is not too late, good segue, to register for the 7th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults in Las Vegas next month. Join hundreds of your fellow young adult patients, survivors, and caregivers for an epic three-and-a-half-day event that will truly change your life. Visit omg2014.org to learn more, and don't forget about the OMG Players Club, which is your path to a $600 travel scholarship just by fundraising for stupid cancer. All right, it starts uh, one month from today. One month from Scary. today. Scary. Yeah. And if you are or not going to the OMG Summit, it's always a good time to stock up on stupid cancer gear. We've got all new products and styles to choose from. Like Matt said, it's uh, 26 degrees here, or 36, whatever it is. It's freezing. It's cold. Stay nice and warm through the eternal winter in a stupid cancer hoodie and scarf. And it's warm. What is this, Matt? I was going to say, if it's warm. Okay. Not spelled correctly. No, we're auto-correcting on the air. <laughs> and if it's warm, we've got brand new skateboards, which you'll have to find out more about how you can get one of those bad boys. Surf on over to stupidcancerstore.org and be proud. Wear stupid cancer. You're going to write this paragraph from now on. I'm going to redo it entirely. <laughs> okay, and finally, Stupid Cancer is launching a mobile health app called Instapier this spring. It is truly going to revolutionize cancer support forever. It is the first platform of its kind that will do automatic peer matching anonymously for cancer patients and caregivers, and it is truly incredibly exciting. Go to facebook.com slash instapeer, instapeer.org, or follow, on, follow Instapeer on Twitter at instapeer. I'm glad that your, uh, your paragraphs are spelled right. I don't. And mine are incorrect. I, I just stopped. going to stop talking. I'm going to go home now. Where's, right. my, where's my sound of the door slamming? Exactly. Okay. And that is your Stupid, Stupid Cancer News. All right. Main event. Unattended. Ah! That was stupid. That was simultaneously frightening and exciting. <laughs> okay, we got a great show tonight. And it is starring Erin Erin Havel, friend of the show. Hello. Stupid cancer writer, activist, and young adult survivor of CML. Her book, The Malformation of Healthcare, is available on Amazon.com. It tackles. Young adult struggles, battling chronic illness and insurance companies, and joining her, the wonderful, epic Terry Moss, the boss, retired woman boxing champion, currently trains and promotes in Atlanta, Georgia, the owner of Buckhead Fight Club, 
Since 2010, Terry's promoted Atlanta Corporate Fight Night, a white-collar, black-tie charity boxing event. And prior to boxing, she worked as a NARF, law enforcement, as a narcotics investigator, and made her ring debut at the tender age of 36. This is going to be a great show. Please welcome Terry Moss and Aaron Hamill, Hello. ladies. Thank you for having Hello. Hello. No, we're, we're excited. When I first saw Aaron's article in Huffington Post interviewing you, I was like, we've got to do a show about this. It's really amazing. And, uh, and on top of that, anything Aaron does is awesome to begin with. So this is just even more exciting. Matthew, that's sweet. Thank you. You are. It was uh, really nice. Yeah, it was great to talk to Aaron. Yeah. So uh, let's start from from the top here, though. Aaron, you, I mean, again, you mentioned you're a legacy stupid cancer rat. You've been to all, I think you're coming this year, but two OMG conferences in Las Vegas and uh, with your partner, Stephanie. And uh, I would love you to just you know, start from scratch. Where were you when you were diagnosed, that whole story, and, you know, what brought you to this crazy universe? Your book is, a, is an amazing, uh, amazing product that I would encourage anyone to buy. Um, but let, let's start from there. Uh, actually, before we start with anything, I, I do want to let people know that if they go on Amazon today, the book is free. So anybody that's listening, if you want to read the book, it, it is free. Just pop on Amazon, a malformation of healthcare. Um, yeah, for me, you know, I was diagnosed with cancer at 30. It was 10 days after my 30th birthday, and ta-da, life fell apart, right? So um, I ended up with uh, chronic myelogenous leukemia, which is a 65-year-old man's disease, and uh, fits me perfectly. But uh, they uh, they treat it with a daily chemotherapy drug, and that drug is very expensive. It's mine specifically is about $8,000 a month, and insurance companies don't like to cover that. So while I was fighting with insurance back and forth, I ended up taking all these notes, and uh, what I ended up with was a book kind of explaining how to deal with health insurance when you're going through struggles. So I ended up publishing it with my friends, and they, you know, hopefully it's going to help people somewhere who are going through struggles the way I was to at least understand a little bit about how to work with insurance companies and and uh, get through the difficult times. But health-wise, I'm doing very well now. The medication has been working well for me for about seven years. And, uh, yeah, I like writing. I enjoy, I'm enjoy. i still enjoying um, staying on topic with important issues with the Huffington Post blog. And, and you're a rock star in our community, and, and I commend you for all you, you've chosen to do. So, so let's jump right into it. How did you meet Terry, uh, who has an, her own amazing story, um, and, and let's get into Terry's story after you tell us how your, how your first day worked out. <laughs> it was good. I, um, I actually, her publicist contacted me, and initially I, I didn't see a connection between her story and my writing focus because I usually stick with the young adult cancer theme. But when I did a little reading on, on Terry, I discovered that she had battled her own young adult illness, and she actually went through interferon treatments. And that's where I saw the tie-in because interferon was actually how my own cancer, CML, used to be treated prior to the TKIs that now manage that disease. Um, plus, I also think it's, it's great to have positive stories. The more we can read about people who have survived and overcome adversity anytime, the better, you know. As someone with a chronic condition, some days are better than others. And emotionally, it just really helps to see success stories, especially on those tough days. And, Terry, before you chime in, I'll just add that we've done two, and this is the 301st broadcast of the Stupid Cancer Show, over the last seven years, we've done two other shows in the similar vein of all young adult chronic diseases suck. And this 
so now qualifies as the third one of those shows. So I completely get the parallel, and I commend you on everything you've done to, we, we like to say, to get busy living. But in your case, it's get busy kicking someone's ass in the ring. Yes. I, don't, I tell you what, when I hear, like, Aaron's story, I don't even, I feel so insignificant compared to what she's battled. So, um, I, you know, I'm really honored to be on the show. So I, among so many people that I know have had such a hard battle. So my, my battle um, really started when I wanted to box, as of course, the tender age of 36. So um, even though I fought, you know, I, I had to fight um, the hepatitis C was what I had uh, um, I, I didn't, uh, you know, compared to some of the stories I, I, I hear and some of the things that are profiled on your show, I really feel, you know, honored to be here. I just have to say that. So um, I, I did um, have to take a, a pretty big leap of faith to uh, have the guts to go forward after um, when I first began boxing, you know, they said I wouldn't be able to because of the hepatitis. I just... Um, decided that I didn't believe what they said, <laughs> and I wanted to just see if I could, uh, you know, cure it. So along the lines of what you do with the kids, I, I um, even though I was a kid at heart, but um, not by my age, I just refused to listen to what all the doctors said, and uh, I just went forward with it and um, I managed to beat it all. So I, I totally get what you're saying. So let's take a step back then. Hepatitis, the word itself, has a big stigma. A lot of people don't understand it. There's different versions of it. Can you talk us through uh, what it is as a disease or a chronic condition and what version you have and how that happens? Right. Well, when I um, found out that I had it, I'm a relatively small person. So I, um, even when I boxed, I was a strawweight champion, which is a 102-pounder. So I boxed professionally at 36 at 102. So when I was... Of course, growing up, and even into my 20s, I was only in, uh, you know, 95 pounds, 98 pounds and that kind of thing. So I had a job where I was able to um, finally donate blood. They, you know, I always wanted to do a Red Cross blood donation, so that's how I found out. I, I donated blood. I got a letter back from the um, uh, Red Cross that said, you know, my blood was unable to be used and to seek out medical advice, and I had hepatitis C. So I went to my family doctor who said, you know, we don't really know much about it. There's, you know, there's hepatitis C and B and E. And, you know, he just really told me, unless you feel sick, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, um, and that shows how long ago it was. that They just really didn't think it was a threat. Um, I knew about hepatitis B from, you know, uh, you know, when I was a kid in school. And they talked about, you know, certain uh, drug-related transmitted um, blood-borne diseases or whatever. So, um, but uh, I didn't really know much about it. So, it's really, you know, back then it was highly misunderstood. I, I still think that it is, and um, now even it's reached the level where people just consider it an STD even. But, um, of course, there are uh, associations with, um, you know, certain kinds of behavior that, um, you know, a drug abuse or whatever that may um, cause someone to come up with these kind of diseases. But um, also there are a lot of other things. And I know when I was young I always had anemia, um, from the time I was a small child until I was, you know, even after my daughter was born. So I, um, you know, had blood transfusions more than once. I'm assuming that's where it came from. I, I can't really say. But if even in, you know, early, um, you know, when I found out that I had the hepatitis, if they didn't know enough about it then, I can imagine they didn't even screen for it back when I was three years old and had blood transfusions or that kind of thing. So um, I will say that it's it's really 
it, you know, it's it's a it's just a liver. Well, I don't mean to make it smaller, but it's a liver disease that can be very harmful or fatal. And um, you know, it's a, the it's just like you know that's the thing about cancer is people don't blame you for it, but this is one of the those diseases that you get blamed for. You know, it's like oh, what did you do? <laughs> so right. there's a lot to overcome with that. You know, but um, um, you know, as as of course as we've gone forward, I, even once I started my treatment, I, you know, I was very ignorant about it then. I just wanted to box, and, you know, my coach said, well, you can't box because you have hepatitis. So I'm like, well, can can you cure it? Because I'd never – I didn't think I was sick from it, but I did have a lot of symptoms of illness that I didn't realize were, were associated with it because it was, you know, decades later when I finally – or at least, you know, two, two – yeah, it was decades later when I finally did something about it. But um, the, um, the, the treatment – and, and, you know, you could actually be cured is what the doctor told me. So um, I've even had people still argue that point with me. But hepatitis is not like the HIV virus, which um, HIV cannot really be cured, but it can be, um, you know, into submission so low that you're not really, you know, contagious, they say, or it can be controlled. But you can actually clear the virus. It's just a very, very small percentage of people that can literally clear the virus out of their body. And being a professional prize fighter, I had to get my blood checked every time I fought. So they didn't just do an antibody test. They did a, you know, a, um, a titer test, which tells if there's actually virus in your blood. And it came back zero, 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 year after year after year. And I just, I know I'm really grateful because there's so few people that can have that. But, um, you know, it, it can be cured. So that's one thing I can say is it's, you know, the social stigma can be tough, but it can be cured. And the right attitude helps a lot. So <laughs> that's my take on the hepatitis C for sure. No, and that that's extraordinary. Congratulations on that. I, I want to turn it back to Aaron for a second. Aaron, you know from the young adult cancer world that we, you know, are very um, manifest. It was it's not about you know body parts and the playing field is leveled. And someone with one cancer can learn something from someone else with a different cancer because it's not about where it is. Like parenting and insurance, you know, th- these things all cross over regardless of what even beyond cancer, regardless of what disease you have, if you're dealing with this, you probably had insurance nightmares and career issues and job just your friends leaving you. What has been the takeaways for you in meeting uh, Terry and and writing this article with her? Well, actually, just listening to her talk right now, it's fascinating to me because um, there is the the belief that, you know, if you have cancer, people don't blame you for having cancer. And, and that's not always true. You know, I think that there's an underlining belief that, oh, well, you must have done something. You didn't eat healthy or you didn't work out enough. Mm-hmm. Or you, you know, there's always something that people will grab at and say, well, this is why you have something. So there's always that bond. And then, um, oh, what else did she say? I have to work with my own chemo brain for a second. But, um, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we um, it, it's a chronic condition that I have. And I think that um, when she was talking about, you know, the hepatitis C being able to be cleared, you know, that's a wonderful thing. But, you know, for someone like me, I have a blood cancer and um, you can't just, it's not like a tumor where you take it out and you do all the treatments Mm. and then it's over. Um, So it is, it kind of, it goes on and on. And and I understand that a little bit more than, than maybe some others might, but Mm. yeah, I think it's, it's interesting how similar, you know, even though they're very different in their in the way they're treated and and the way that um, they manifest themselves, it's it's all very similar. When you're sick, you know, there's there's the same kind of <laughs> opinions and things. Right. So, so let me go back to Terry just as a humorous point. 
clearly I wish I was a boxer when I was sick because I would have loved to just beat the shit out of anything and anything at that moment. Did it happen to come in handy that you either decided to go into that or had that innate skill to just beat the crap out of things and win? You know, I, I'm fortunate because it gave me – what it gave me was a focus of something besides um, uh, the the hepatitis. You know, I was able to um, – like I said, I wasn't aware that I had some – I knew I was sick all the time, but I didn't know really what it was. So, um, I, you know, maybe it's – you know, I, don't, I guess it has to do with your liver breaking down. I know that I had cirrhosis of the liver and some things like that, and I guess if it's not functioning, you tend to just be sick all the time, but – um, it, it, once I got on the medicine, which was odd for me, uh, about, you know, six weeks into it, and I changed my diet and a lot of things because everything the doctor told me to do that would make me feel better through the treatment, I did it, I mean, to a T. So if he said, you need to drink three liters of water, I drank three liters of water. So what what happened was, I guess it's true what Aaron says, I never did think about that, but a lot of cancers, they do say, well, it was your diet, you know, you have you know, this because you ate badly. I, I wasn't even thinking. I was thinking about her her type of cancer, a blood-borne cancer, you know. But um, for sure there are so many um, that, that you know, people say, oh, it comes from your diet or, or smoking, you know, those kind of things. So um, it gave me another focus to to deal with and the humiliation of the hepatitis because it, I, I did experience a lot of humiliation from that when I did decide to get treatment and, you know, at my job and things, and there's a, a whole separate story behind that. But, you know, I, I think that's what kept me positive about it is I had a goal. You know, I had somewhere that I wanted to be, and I said, i got to get through this uh, wall in order to get to that room, you know. So that's – I think that did help me a lot, just having the boxing there. So we're – you know, if somebody really doesn't have an outlet to focus on or some kind of reward at the end, then it's really, I'm sure, makes it much tougher to go through. Terry, what was your career growing up? Uh, where did you go to school, and what, what were your initial ambitions? Well, um, I went to the University of Georgia, and then um, I also actually went to a Bible college. So um, I was working in law enforcement uh, for a long time. I was in there about 14 years. I was a narcotic investigator, uh, narcotics investigator. And um, I, I love doing that, but um, I don't know what it is about boxing that just um, took me away. It was the complete opposite of, you know, law enforcement where in law enforcement, you know, you walk a rigid line even in your home life and, you know, you really can only <laughs> kind of conglomerate around certain types of people because of the law enforcement thing where in boxing it like crosses all genres of life and, you know, all races and, um, you know, every uh, demographic and every socioeconomic boundary. It's, everything's, it's like kind of like a chaotic, controlled chaos kind of thing. So maybe it was just the freedom that I found in boxing that kind of drew drew me to it in a little, you know, and after so many years of law enforcement and working in narcotics. But um, uh, before then, you know, that's all I wanted to do. I just loved working in law enforcement. I, I loved being in court, which is really weird. So uh, that was my, my drive. And then when the boxing came along, it was almost an embarrassment. You know, it was embarrassing to tell somebody, I'm leaving law enforcement to do boxing because everybody laughed about it. So, um, you know, it, that was pretty much where, where I was and where my, I thought my future would lie there. Um, and um, But, the, you know, some things uh, with the medication, you know, there were certain side effects that happened uh, with the medication. Like I had short-term memory loss. It was really awful to deal with. So, 
while I'm, you know, I, it was really hard to be an investigator, and especially if I picked up a phone call and I couldn't remember why I was calling this person, yet I had detailed, you know, important legal matters at hand, you know, that, you know, um, effective lives and, and legal cases and district attorneys and criminals and evidence, and yet I couldn't remember why I called the person and what, what I was putting together. So I had some trouble, you know, in my job, and I think ultimately really going through the medication um, for the hepatitis C is what really pushed me out of law enforcement because I was humiliated to death. <laughs> Because then the next thing I knew, I was in court, you know, and uh, there's a, you know, a, an attorney that I had faced several times um, throughout my legal, you know, career, like criminals that I would arrest that certain groups of attorneys would represent. And then they found out, you know, oh, I'm on this medicine. And then they actually, in my job, um, released me. You know, they took my badge and they sent me home and made me do psychological evaluations because, you know, I guess I don't know that it's a memory thing. It wound up being a big mess that in about a week's time, you know, everything came back, you know, in my favor, you know, but the the thing is is I was humiliated for, for good in a permanent way. So I got on the stand and uh, you know, the the attorneys are going, Isn't it true that you are suspended because of a drug that you're using? <laughs> you know, so when you're a drug agent that doesn't go over very well with right. the jury, even Literally. if it's Literally. Yeah, right. I got burned really bad, <laughs> to say the least. So, you know, but they know how to use that. So, um, it really ultimately ended my law enforcement career. So, once you lose your testimony in a court of law, you know, it's really hard to gain it back. So, um, that wanna, is that amazing? Yeah, I'd like to take a second to just shift back to Aaron because just an interesting segue about lawyers. Uh, Aaron, the one thing I know about your story, which you actually reiterated when I asked you for your bio, was that. <clears throat> I, I just think that this is so confounding to the average layperson to know that this is possible. But what, it, it should be mentioned that your insurance company not only stopped paying your doctor, um, but they removed him from their network. Yeah. <laughs> you were treated by him. I, I, that's, we can't not mention that just as a point of fact <laughs> and what you had yeah. to endure to get a lawyer. And Can you talk through that? Yeah, so actually my, my struggle with insurance companies started before I was even diagnosed with cancer. I was born with a, a vascular malformation, and only 1% of the population is born with this thing. It's kind of like a brain aneurysm. That's how you usually hear about AVMs. But mine was in my neck and in my side, and there really was no treatment. So I had doctors basically my whole life saying, oh, well, we don't know what to do with it. Just watch it. Oh, she might die. You know, I mean, really horrible things. And uh, when I turned, I think it was 26, uh, I finally found a doctor that, um, that actually treated ABMs with this new way of um, killing them off by injecting ethanol directly into each blood vessel. So when you go to a specialist, they're not cheap. And although my insurance company, the, you know, he was on their formulary, you know, like he absolutely was covered, and I started going for treatment. But in order to take care of the ABM that I had, mine had grown so large, it was the second largest he had treated. And I would have to go into the hospital in Denver um, once a month for two back-to-back treatments. So I'd have one treatment on like a Wednesday, and then, they, you know, they'd knock me out with anesthetic. They'd inject me with 40 cc's of ethanol, and then I'd have to do it again the next day and then fly home and go back to work and go back to school and do everything I was doing. And uh, that got very expensive. Um, I developed a wound that wouldn't heal, and I had to stop working. So my my money situation was tough. It was not in a good place. 
And uh, then the insurance company was like, yeah, your money situation's not good, and we don't want to pay for this anymore. So they just stopped paying my doctor. And when I went to make my appointment, I think it was in, like, September of 2006 maybe, uh, they said, um, yeah, we, we can't schedule you because your insurance company has stopped paying us, and we're uh-huh. in talks. And so, <laughs> yeah, right. So then they were in talks for, I don't know, a couple months, and I was not being treated at that time. And they had me jump through all of these hoops once they removed him from their their uh, list of doctors that were approved. And they, they had me going to doctors that, you know, didn't have anything to do with AVMs. They didn't know how to treat it. They would say, oh, you have to go to this specialist in Denver. And I'd say, I know. <laughs> you know? But, um, you know, they had me taking extra, you know, MRIs and doing extra CAT scans, all these things that were just a waste of money because it wasn't helping the situation. And finally, I did. I went to an attorney after nine months of fighting with them and being really stressed out. And uh, he said, you know, you have a case and, and we just have to work it through. And then 10 days after my 30th birthday, I was finally allowed to go back for treatments. And when I went in for the uh, initial blood work to be put under for the anesthesia, that's when they found the leukemia. So I have my own beliefs about, you know, stress, <laughs> you know, act- yeah. activating things. <laughs> right, right, right. Terry, let me get back to you for a second, because I would love you to just share with us what it was like to step in the ring for the first time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I talked to Aaron about this, I think. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I got, so of course being, you know, 36 years old, making a pro debut with no amateur fights, which is pretty crazy. Um, I did have to jump through a lot of hoops to get there, but I didn't mind because I wanted to do it so badly. But um, it was pretty um Incredible, you know. I, I of course got my behind handed to me. You know, I got <laughs> beat up pretty well, but I didn't get stopped. So I, I say an average person would have gone down it. The the fight that I had, the girl was already a champion. Um, she, um, you know, we had to actually, you know, my trainer at the time said, "Oh, just tell the commission you already had some kickboxing fights or something like that." So they thought I had ring experience, and and I didn't, in fact. So it was um, it was a pretty uh, real moment when that <laughs> when I stepped into those ropes and I saw her across the corner, I was like, Okay, I did all this for this, now what am I gonna do? So, um it was it was, you know, still I lost the fight but it was a great accomplishment to me. And I I, I mean I bragged about it even though I looked like a crazy person up there, you know, falling around <laughs> but it looked great, you know, to me just to see me in in between those ropes in the ring. So um, it was, you know, pretty incredible. I, I just never thought I'd make it there. So the fact that I made it was, um, you know, I said after that fight, I said, well, I've done it now. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> of course, nice. it didn't last more than a couple of days. So, <laughs> so let, let's take the last five minutes to talk about what you're up to now and this documentary film and your charitable efforts. Okay, right. So um, I've been very busy since I've been in boxing. So I did um, – for, I only was able to fight for six years, of course, because of my age. You know, I retired. I was um, almost 43 when I did uh, in my – I will say that I had a horrible first fight, but within my first year um, I was ranked number two in the world, and I held that standing for most of my career. Uh, I was always in the top five. Um, I fought for five world titles uh, in three countries, and then I um, – you know, I won, you know, the WIBA and then the WIBF uh, world title, and – I also have an honorary title that's called the Champions of Dignity um, Association Belt, which is a it's a, a belt that you get for great service into the community of boxing. 
and I now serve as uh, one of their members on their board of directors. It's, uh, again, the Champions of Dignity Association is the name of it. And they do charity work by supporting the Retired Boxers Foundation. So um, it's pretty cool to have that belt that they, you know, <laughs> just for serving, you know. But then um, uh, since then, you know, um, when I when I did retire, I set a Guinness World Record as uh, the oldest female in history to win a world champion. <laughs> um, it's actually been broken now, so I'm hallelujah to that, that older thing, so... Um, but and then uh, um, um, I started the corporate fight night, which um, I'm doing my eighth show now. I just kicked off this week um, in Atlanta, uh, where we have white collar uh, individuals, you know, business people that box each other to raise money for charity. And we've we've done so much great work with so many great charities. I mean, this show I have coming up, we are using the Wonder Warrior Project as our uh, charity. So we are working with. Uh, them and each of the boxers that are boxing on the show is going to have a wounded warrior paired with them to kind of train beside them and be in their corner. So they're really excited on many levels of what we can do um, with that. And then um, uh, actually planning a show in Nashville this summer and then uh, sometime next year we'll be going to the U.K. for, uh, you know, our first international show. So and then, uh, you know, the movie that we've been working on for two years that um, debuted in New York in December We'll, um, we're doing some more finishing touches on it and should be out to the public. Um, uh, again, um, will be maybe, I guess, spring or summer of this year. So um, it's the movie's called Boxing Chicks. So, and it's basically a story about, you know, kind of the, uh, in a real positive way, uh, um, the battles that, you know, women have to get in there and, and be in the ring. And even, you know, not just prize fighters, but some of the girls that just take to boxing as a, as a fun sport that they like to, you know, enjoy this community that we have in the gym and kind of um, what it feels like to be a girl in boxing and um, whether or not you're a fighter. It's not it's not like a typical boxing documentary that shows the woes of being a woman and fighting, you know, fighting in a man's world. I mean, that story has been told so many times. Um, we're bored with it. <laughs> so this is a really positive and shows really the good that boxing can do, which is what it did for me. I mean, boxing did a lot of good for me, so um, it's showing kind of what good boxing can do in community and in um, the lives of individual women and that kind of thing. So it's supposed to be, you know, I've seen it, but it's going to be a great film, and we're really proud about that and excited. So a lot going on. <laughs> no, and we're we're very proud of you, too. It, it, it's an incredible, incredible story of, of success and, and um and just just winning, it's incredible. Uh, Aaron, final thoughts on this. I mean, uh, your book again, the malformation of healthcare, available today for free on Amazon. Thank you very much for doing that for our listeners. Um, what's in store for you? Uh, you know, I'm working on another book, and this time it's a little bit more lighthearted. So <laughs> it gets me <laughs> out of the, the cancer world for a minute, and that's been refreshing and, and helpful. And I think I might take a class or something on on writing to to maybe, you know, explore that a little bit further because, you know, I can only do so much with my blogs and, and the stuff that I like to write. So we'll see. But life is going well day? here. You're yeah, doing really well. well you know? well? Yeah. Insurance is covering my medicine. I'm great. That's all that matters, right? <laughs> That's, That's right. Well, if you missed Aaron's interview with Terry on the Huffington Post, it's called Knocking Out Adversity with Boxing Champion Terry Moss, and it was written in uh, January of this year, uh, and it was since they're updated March 24th. So um, we're very excited that you did this. And again, I, I commend both of you on on truly just being uh, examples of how to get busy living and 
striving through adversity. It's it's truly a testament to the human condition, and I applaud you both. Thank you both for coming on uh, tonight's broadcast, and I wish you both Godspeed. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank okay. you so much. And Aaron, you rock, just for the record. <laughs> I've read some <laughs> so of your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so right. excited Aaron to Hatton, read about Terry Moss, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Four minutes shy of nine o'clock. I think it's a record. We won. Yeah? Did we win? Something. Any mm-hmm. comments from the peanut gallery? Oh, I'm I muted your mic, sorry. Matt muted me. I ah. asked if there was a prize. Is there a prize? The X prize? I have no idea. It's a radio equivalent of somebody hitting like the lock button on the windows in the car. <laughs> I don't get fresh air and I don't get to talk. Correct. <laughs> and you get to sit in a really warm radio studio. Yeah. The warmest room in all of New York it's, if anyone's cold. Which is why we need to rebuild it somewhere else, <laughs> like on a rooftop, open air. Kelly, you happy, thrilled? Yeah. Excited? Yeah. Is it everything you hope for and more? Or maybe Completely less? Okay. My <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'm glad you guys were able to stop by and sit in. We always love when people live, and I look out and I see human beings. <laughs> That's a pleasure. And the change that I had, you know, from doing it in my, what do I say, my, my bedroom by myself yeah. for four years. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm really excited. We'd like to thank everyone for uh, listening tonight every, here in studio. Uh, shout out to uh, Annie Goodman. Uh, personal shout out to my cousin David. We love you. We uh, wish you only the best in love and health. And uh, with that, it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 301st broadcast will be up as much as we did. You are so drunk, dude. I'm not drunk. Song is sick and stupid cancer. I stumbled over that last time. You're high on life. I am. I'd like to thank our guest tonight, Brad Besner from Llama Mamos, Aaron Haviland, Terry Moss, the boss. Next week's show, social media and Big Pharma, how it affects you. Join us for a fierce conversation with health economist James Saracen Khan, a blogger at Health Populi and Healthcare DIY, about social media and the role of Big Pharma and how it affects you, the cancer patient, survivor, and caregiver. For starters, there's a role for them, and yes, there is. You're going to learn more about it next week. Tune in to find out Survivor Spotlight on Greg Draponi from Washington State. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime online at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, myself, Maureen Sweet, and our whole team here. At the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you back here live next Monday at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Uh, I'm